and let me pray for us again. And let me, let's ask for God's help to speak to us. Um, and then we'll jump into the sermon. Our God, we come before you, um, yeah, partly hungry uh, to hear from you and meet with you, uh, partly uh, apathetic uh, due to just being stuck at home. Um, but we know that your spirit is at work. Uh, we know that your word is living and it is true. And so as we open up your word, uh, we pray uh, that you would speak uh, deep into our souls and that you would encourage us as we uh, go through difficult seasons, as we go through change, as we have questions, uh, that we might learn what it is to lament, how to properly come before you with these struggles, and that by learning uh, that we might actually uh, live it out and that we might grow in our faith through it all. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we just sang the hymn, uh, It Is Well, right? A very famous hymn, uh, It Is Well, It Is Well With My Soul. I actually didn't suggest it to Peter, um, but you know, my intro was about it as well, right? And so the same spirit of God is at work in him. We've got the same spirit. Um, this hymn is super famous. Uh, even like non-Christians would know this hymn. And yet maybe even more famous than the hymn itself is the backstory, right? The way that this hymn uh, came about to be. And so if you don't know it, I'm going to uh, give you a little bit of a rundown. Uh, the lyrics were penned by a name named uh, Horatio Spafford. Uh, he encountered these intense tragedies in his life, right? He, most of his life, uh, he was quite rich, well off. He was a lawyer. But then in 1870, uh, tragically, he lost his four-year-old son. Right? He passed away with uh, what's called scarlet fever, right? which is in itself an immense tragedy. Uh, but then one year later, the Great Chicago Fire, it tore through you know, downtown Chicago, uh, 300 people uh, lost their lives, 100,000 were made homeless, and in the midst of all of it, Horatio and his family, uh, they lost most of their property, right, which left him financially ruined, right, so in two years, lost his son, lost, uh, you know, nearly all that he owned, and then just two years later, 1873, uh, he and his family, they decided to go on a holiday to England, uh, he was friends with D.L. Moody, the evangelist, and so he was going to go on holiday and support D.L. Moody. And then due to business reasons, uh, kind of last minute, he sent his family first on the boat, and he was going to go chase them up later. And the ship uh, that his family was on, on the 22nd of November, 1873, was struck by a bigger ship. And in 12 minutes, you know, the ship that his family was on completely sunk. Uh, 226 people died including all four of his daughters, right? His wife, remarkably, she survived. And as when she hit land, she sent him a telegram and it started with these words and it's quite famous. The words, the telegram began, it said, saved alone, what shall I do? And hearing this, um, Horatio, he left straight away to meet with his wife. And on the ship, uh, as he was on the journey, uh, the captain summoned him up to the bridge of the ship and he said, now, this is where uh, your, your daughters, um, the ship where your daughters were on, this is where they sunk, right, as they passed along. And in that moment, Horatio Spafford, he penned the hymn, right, It Is Well, right? In that moment, surrounded by tragedy, you know, three years ago, lost his son, two years ago, lost, you know, all that, nearly all that he had. And not long ago, in this very spot, his four daughters, you know, drowned, and he wrote the hymn. It is well. And, you know, it kind of gives extra meaning to the opening words of the hymn, right? The hymn begins, when peace like a river attendeth my way, 
When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Right, what an incredible story, right? This man, he endured so much tragedy and loss, must have had so much confusion in his life, and yet in the face of this tragedy, his response is this song, it is well with my soul. You know, stories like this, uh, they emphasize the kind of superhuman faith uh, that we can and we want to respond to in the midst of tragedy. Right? We hear this and we're like, yeah, that's awesome. That's what I want to be like. And so in that way, it's helpful and encouraging. But if we're not careful and if we understand it wrong and apply it incorrectly, it can actually be harmful rather than helpful. It can actually end up being discouraging rather than encouraging. And the way that it can be harmful is if we conclude that when we face tragedy, we must respond in the same way. That kind of thinking will actually be harmful for you. We can respond that way. We want to respond that way. But you don't have to always respond that way, not immediately. There are moments in our lives when we can't just honestly respond that way. And rather than responding like that, we should lament. Right? So that's what I'm going to talk about today, biblical lament. So that even though we might start by singing it is well, that we might start somewhere else and through the process end by saying it is well. Right? So that's the process of lament. And so I've got four points today. And the points uh, follow this acronym, uh, T-C-A-T. And the way that I remember it is really stupid, is I think of Tom and Jerry. <laughs> Do you guys know Tom and Jerry? If you're too young to know Tom and Jerry, it's this very uh, violent cartoon that some of us grew up with. It's a kid's cartoon. Um, in it, there's a mouse called Jerry and there's a cat called Tom. Right? And uh, Tom is Tom because he's a Tomcat. Right? And Tom is always getting beaten by Jerry. And so I imagine Tom, the Tomcat, right? T-cat is lamenting. Right? This is my stupid way of remembering this. T-cat, right? T-cat for Tomcat, because Tom is getting beaten up by Jerry and he's lamenting, right? T-cat. So let's go through this. T-cat, a T-C-A-T. And the first point for today is number one, T, it's turn. Right? The first thing we need to do in the face of tragedy as we go through lament is turn. Psalm 13. Now we're going to uh, go through Psalm 13. So if you have a Bible, please keep it open. We're going to go down from top to bottom. Um, and it begins uh, with David uh, praying, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, we don't know the backstory to why David wrote the psalm. You know, some people have said maybe this and maybe that. Um, but it could be one of many painful moments in the life of David, right? But David went through quite a lot of tragedy as well. And the first thing that we see David do and the first thing that we must do is we must turn to God. Right? The first and crucial step is that we must turn to God. And, you know, when I say that, it, it feels kind of too obvious, right? It's like, why is this even a point, turn to God? Of course we turn to God. Um, but the reality is when we face tragedy and pain and we feel overwhelmed by the situations of life, uh, turning to God is actually something that we don't always do. Quite often, we don't want to turn to God. Uh, often, God is the last person we actually want to speak to. 
And so turning to God, this idea is very simple, very obvious, and yet it can be very difficult for us. God's not always the first or natural preferred choice. Maybe we lift up a quick prayer. Maybe we share to someone, you know, can you please pray for me? Uh, But when, in the face of tragedy, do we honestly actively press into the presence of God to share and wrestle with God about the situation? Right. Have, have we been doing that through COVID and lockdown, through the changes and the difficulties? Have we, myself, engaged with God and turned to him? Now, there are a lot of reasons why we don't turn to God. Maybe we blame him. Right? God, why did you bring this tragedy in my life? Maybe we're impatient. Right? We pray for it once. He doesn't answer, so we give up. Maybe we give up. Right, because, you know, we've been in the same situation for a long time and, man, I don't think it's going to change. Maybe like us, lockdown is now a part of life and so we just accept it and we've stopped praying for it. Or maybe it's a lack of faith. Right? If we're honest, we don't really believe that God can help us in this situation. Now, for David, uh, one of the struggles that he's going through is that he feels like God is absent. He feels like God has forgotten me, right? If you read again, verse one, he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And so this is kind of like a paradox. On one hand, David feels like God's forgotten him and God's hiding from him. And yet David turns to God and he, he kind of prays to the God that he feels like has forgotten him. Does it make sense? He prays to the God that he feels like he's hiding from him. Right? The doubts and the feelings that you know make David not want to turn to God because God's forgotten him. Right? He doesn't take that and go, yeah, well, let's give up on God. He takes those very things before God himself. Right? So in the face of tragedy, there's a whole list of reasons why we might not want to turn to God, why we might want to run away from God. But whatever that is, we need to, like David, come before God, right, and wrestle through it with him. It's not that obvious that we would always turn to God, right? Even for David, how difficult must it have been for him to ask God, why have you forgotten me? It's like um, telling your your boyfriend or girlfriend or your spouse, you know, um, you don't like me anymore, right? It's kind of like kind of in a way hard to say it's shameful. Do they really care that you're saying that, you know, the things that you do? But this is the first step we must take. Uh, We must turn to God. Uh, Without this first step, there's no step two, three, four. That's why it's the first and crucial step. And without this step, uh, really, uh, we're not responding to pain like a Christian should respond. Uh, Turning to God makes the way that we endure pain uh, particularly Christian. If we don't turn to God, uh, we will suffer in the same way any non-believer would. What makes us different? We're wrestling through pain with God. And so through COVID, are you turning to God? Right? We need to turn to God frequently through all the discomfort and pain that we're going through. In order to lament and to not waste it, turn to God. Number two, TCAT, right? Turn and then see, we complain. The second thing we do in lament is that we complain to God. We come before God honestly, Voicing our doubts, our questions, our hurts, even if they're not true, right? Even if the things we're complaining to God about, we know biblically are not true, we still do it because it feels true to me 
And so I need to voice it out to God. Right? That's the second point, complain. And I think this is the one that we often neglect as Christians. We feel like we shouldn't complain, right? If we go back to Psalm 13, right, verse 1 to 2 is David's complaint. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long would you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You know, David's complaint is super raw. It's really honest. You know, as I read this, I don't know about you, but you know, I feel uncomfortable because he's blaming God. He's coming before God. And he's like, how long, God? Right? You, you've forgotten me. You've hidden your face. You've let my enemies exalt over me. It's uncomfortable for me because, you know, it's theologically incorrect what he's saying. I, I, I kind of want to get up next to David and be like, David, God doesn't forget us. God, God never hides himself from us. There's always reason to rejoice, right? There's a lot of things you can kind of say to David in like what he's saying. But it's right there in the Bible. He's throwing to God blame and things that just simply are not true about God. Now, if you want another psalm to see this, there's a lot of psalms like this. You can turn to Psalm 88. Uh, it's just full of negative stuff, okay? <laughs> if you want to be given permission to just pray honestly before God. And as we read this, it's kind of like, is this okay? Isn't it sin to blame God? Isn't it sin to complain to him? Shouldn't our response be, it is well? Or shouldn't we be singing and praising God in the moment? And the truth, the truth is that, as we can see, because it's in the Bible, there is a biblical way to complain that is not only helpful, but at times necessary for us to say things that may not be true, but feel true to us in the moment, and we need a voice to know. Now, I want you to imagine a couple that has just had a big fight, but a couple that has just had a big fight, they could respond and take their complaints uh, in a few different ways. I'm just going to go through them and relate that to the way that we might complain to God. So a couple has a fight, and the first thing that they could do is they could not complain. Right? So the first way to complain is not to. They take all their questions and hurts and doubts and they press it down deep and they don't tell anyone about it. They never address it, sweep it under the carpet. Or would that be helpful for the couple or the person? Right? They might say, well, we want to be a couple that, you know, fights on Saturday and then rocks up on Sunday, you know, like everything's okay. And in a sense, that's right. You want to fight on Saturday, rock up on Sunday and be okay. But not just, you don't want to appear okay. You want to actually be okay. If all you're doing is pushing down the complaint and appearing okay, then all of that thing, the complaints and questions that you push down will you know, fester into bitterness and may one day explode. And yet often we do that same thing with God. When we have complaints or questions or doubts, we have difficulty with the situation. Like we're, we're questioning his character. We press it down and we just act like we're okay because that's the right way to respond. But all we're doing is we're letting that fester into bitterness in our hearts. And one day it may just explode like a volcano. You know, often we see the Christian on the Sunday who has gone through struggle and they're singing, it is well, with their hands up. And we're like, that's what I must do. But we don't understand that for that person to get there, they were probably locked up in their room, face down, wrestling with God in lament. 
right? We want to get to eat as well, but we may not start there. And so don't, don't dig down your complaints. The second thing the couple that has fought might do is they might complain, but to someone else. A couple fights, but rather than addressing the actual spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend, they go to their friend. Right? That, that's good. But if that's all you do and you never address it to the actual person, then that's a recipe for disaster. You need to eventually speak to the person who you have the issue with. And yet again, how often do we do that with God? We take our complaints and struggles, but we never address it with God. We tell our accountability. We tell our growth group. But I don't know about you, but often I'm like telling people, you know, can you pray for this? This is a struggle in my life. And then I realize, wow, I'm telling them to pray for me, but I've never prayed for it myself. Right? They may have prayed for that more than I've actually come before God with it about. Right? We need to come before God and be honest with him. Uh, Philippians 4, it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And then it says, verse 6, let your requests be made known to God. Right? I've talked about this. Be reasonable to everyone and your requests to God, it says. To everyone, reasonable God requests. But we switch that around and we take our requests to everyone. And before God, we're so reasonable. Oh, God, thank you for the trials in my life. It's joy and trials, James Bond, or something like that, you know? We're so reasonable and we're not honest about how we're feeling with him. But, you know, he's the one who knows all things. Why are we trying to hide what we really feel before the God who knows all things? You know, last Sunday's uh, devotional from New Morning Mercies, right, it's from Paul Tripp. He says this, if you cry to people instead of God, you will ask those people to do what only God can do. They will feel overwhelmed and, un and unable, and you will grow more desperate. If you silence your cries, crying only to yourself, you will feel increasingly alone and without anyone who cares and understands, and you'll feel more and more helpless. And so you complain to people, you grow desperate. You complain to no one, you grow helpless. We need to complain to God. But even when we complain to God, there's two different ways we can do it. Imagine a couple fights, and then the, couple, the one of the people, they complain to the person, because that's what you're meant to do. Now, we all can imagine a scenario where the person complains just for the sake of complaining, right? I don't know if you, you've been there. I, I haven't, obviously, because, well, my wife would never do that. Um, you just complain to vent, to get it off your chest, to prove that you're right, to make them feel bad. You complain as an end. Complain not to communicate. You complain to complain. And that's not helpful. And that's not a good way to complain. Right? When we think about complaint as a sin, that is a sinful way to come before God, to just complain to him and blame him and then walk away. What we want to do is to complain, not as an end, but as a means. As a means because I care about this relationship, so I'm going to be honest so I can move forward, so I can clarify, so I can restore the relationship and so we can grow. When you think about a couple who's fought, you want them to be honest about the complaints, but not to blame so that they can clarify and grow in their relationship. And when you think about it like that, when we complain before God like that, that's not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith would be to never turn to God, to give up on God. At least the person who complains to God like this is facing his way and he's speaking honestly. 
And at times we need to come before God and speak honestly about how we're feeling, the doubts, and even kind of the, the questions about his character that we might have with the purpose of pressing on to something else. Now, we're not looking for lament. Uh, you don't pray the TCAP every day. It's not an everyday kind of prayer. Uh, you will know if you need to complain to God, right? Don't look for things to complain to God about. Uh, but we're trying to do what Psalm 142 says in verse 1 to 2. The psalmist in 142, he says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. And so we turn to God and we complain about what we're kind of really going through before him. Right. And have you done that? Right? Do we feel comfortable doing that? I think there are definitely moments where we just need to do that and not pretend like everything is OK. We turn and we complain. We ask the why questions. We ask the how could you questions. We, we kind of just really surface the things that are deep in our hearts. We complain not for the sake of complaining, but because we love him. We need him. And so we need to talk these things through. You know, the Psalms, our big book, it's got about 150, it's got 150 Psalms in there. And about one third of Psalms are laments. Right, if you categorize the Psalms and, you know, you, different people categorize it different ways. One third of the Psalms are laments. One third are people crying out to God and complaining to him. Laments make up the biggest category of Psalms, right? If you were to divvy it up, the biggest chunk is lament. And so when you think about that, what does that say about the place that lamenting and kind of complaining should have in our lives? Uh, what does it say about the way we should cry out to God, you know, not just ourselves, but together in community? Uh, we need to be comfortable to be honest before God. The third is to ask. T-cat, turn, complain, and then we ask. And these last two ones uh, is, is where we want to be. It's ask and trust. Um, we want to get here. This is when we actually begin to kind of wield our faith in positive ways to you know, overcome the situation we're in, to get back onto the pathway of hope where we want to get here. But again, you may not be ready. And so you begin, begin with turn and complain. Now, if you stop at complain and you never get to ask, and that's just a habit you get into, uh, that won't be helpful for you. You're going to end up focusing only on the bad things in life rather than the good God that we're coming toward. On the flip side, if you jump immediately to number three and you skip one and two, um, it can be unhelpful for you in the long run. Now, the order really matters. And let me try to explain in my mind how this works. You know, a few sermons ago in the storm sermon where the disciples were in the storm, I mentioned how God's sovereignty creates in us, in the midst of pain, kind of two opposing tensions. The fact that God's in control and I'm in pain makes me both want to run away from God, but also run toward him. I want to run away because he's involved with this painful situation somehow. And so I run and run away. I blame him. I question him, etc. On the flip side, we must run to him because he's in control. And so the one who can help me in the midst of this pain is the God who is in control. And so we must run to him. And we're according these kind of two opposing tensions. Now, in the ask step, we're running toward God to ask for help. But for us to freely do this, to freely ask for his help, we need to 
do business with the reasons we want to run away, the blame, the questions, etc. Which is why the complaint step is so important. Because if we want to truly run to him right, and surrender ourselves, I need to kind of answer or you know, do something with the doubts and questions that I've had. And so that's why we have to complain. We need to just vent it out. We need to pour it out before him. And maybe we don't get all the answers to those doubts and questions. Right? Maybe they're still lingering in the background. Uh, but kind of like, you know, again, with relationships, just voicing out what I'm feeling is a part of the process of us kind of moving on. Right. I heard once that, you know, counselors, most of what they do, right, I don't want to kind of put down counselors, but most of what the benefit of it is that people just get to say what they're feeling. And the counselor sits there and be like, mm, yes, yes. And they disagree. Right? And again, not to put them down, but I think uh, there's a lot of power in just voicing out what you're going through. And so we voice out our complaints so that we can come before him and ask. We've cried out the questions of why. Now we come to the who to help us with the what. Mark Brogev, he says, complaints are not cul-de-sacs of sorrow. Complaints are not cul-de-sacs of sorrow, but bridges that lead to God's character. So we complain to get to the character of God and to ask him to help. We see David do this in verse three or four. He begins to ask God for help, even though he has just complained that God is absent from him. Verse three, consider and add to me, O Lord, my God, Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. <laughs> if you look at what uh, David is asking God for, again, it's similar to what he's complained to God about. He said, God, you're hidden, you've forgotten me, but now he's saying, answer me, consider me. And they seem like opposites, it's like contradictory. He's complained that his enemies have exalted over him, verse 2. But now he's saying, you know, help me against my enemies so that they're not prevailing over me, exalted over me. And so what we see here is that kind of tension. It's like, on one hand, I want to blame God. God, you've let them exalt over me. You're far away from me. And on the other hand, he knows he needs God. So God, answer me and help me with my enemies. And so he's complained. He's gotten rid of it. And now he can ask God to help him in those same areas, right? It's like a weird, messy, kind of contradictory thing that he's doing. And that's the process, I think, of lament. It doesn't really make sense. We blame him on one second, but then we cling to him the next. But we need to make sure we do, that we ask him to help. Pain and trials will come in and assault our faith and make us doubt. It makes us want to give up on God. And yet we need to flip that around and with that very same faith, hold on to God and declare Right, that he is good and that we need his help. And a part of what helps us ask him is to remember um, who he is, uh, what he's done and what he will do. Uh, to remember God's character, God's work and God's promises. In tragedy, we're thinking a lot of things that aren't true, but they feel true. <clears throat> and at a certain point when we get to ask, we want to kind of overwhelm what I feel like is true with what I know is true in the Bible. And we want to kind of shift over to that point in, um, in the ask section. This is what I feel is true, my emotions, doubts, questions, blame. But this is what I know is true from God's word. I see his character. I see his work. I see his promises. 
right? And we see this all over the Psalms. I want to, we're going to turn to two Psalms. If you turn with me, if you've got your Bibles open, we're going to turn to Psalm 77. We're going to turn to Psalm 77. Psalm 77, verse 7, says this. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Okay, these are complaints, again, that are just biblically kind of not true. Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? After complaining like that, he turns his prayer in verse 10. Then I said, right, we all need that turning point. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. You kind of see how he turns his prayer when one moment he's complaining, but then he shifts and he says, no, no, I'm going to remember his character, his works, and for us also, his promises, and then he's able to move on in his prayer. We're going to do that one more time. We're going to turn to Psalm 22. If you want to go, kind of go forward with me. Psalm 22. Psalm 22. We're going to read verse 1 to 5. Psalm 22, <clears throat> 1 to 5. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And then verse three, yet you are holy. Right? There's the turning point. Yet you are holy and throned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and we were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. And there's that turning point where he remembers God. And then, you know, he kind of does that back and forth in Psalm 22. He kind of goes back to complaining. And then he goes back to remembering. And then later on, you see him ask God for help. And so, again, we want to ask God. We don't want to leave, stay in the complaint. We want to ask him. But maybe a part of the process is to remember who he is. Now, I don't have a list of things that, you know, you can ask for. I think the things we can ask for are as varied as the difficulties we face. So it could be a whole bunch of things. Uh, but in the book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark, he lists nine common things that we find in the Psalms that people ask for. So I'll just quickly go through them in my own kind of paraphrase. And maybe that'll help you. Like, this is what I should be praying for. Number one, fix the world. Right? How applicable is that right now? Number two, help me. Three, keep your promises. Four, bring justice. Five, don't remember my sins. Six, bring restoration, right? This is restore the world. We're longing for the new heavens and new earth. Seven, be near. Eight, teach me. And nine, vindicate me. Right? They're the nine common themes we find in the Psalms. It could be anything that's not in there, but we need to make sure we ask God. Not just turn, not just complain, but then we ask. So that finally, number four, we might get to trust that we would get to trust right if you want to kind of go back to psalm 13 verse 5 to 6 we see in trust but i have trusted in your steadfast love my heart shall rejoice in your salvation 
I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And that's how the psalm ends. It's a short psalm. It's six verses. If you prayed this, it'd take you maybe a full, you know, 10 seconds to pray. Uh, in this short time of prayer, David has now ended by saying, I trust in God's love. I rejoice in his salvation. I want to praise God with a song because he's given me so much. Uh, you know, when you read that, if you read just verse five and six alone, you'd be like, wow, what a strong, great Christian. Um, he seems so like um, trusting in God. Um, and again, this is the person we see on Sunday singing it as well. But the reality is to get to this point where right, he went through a lot of mess. He did a lot of blaming and complaining to get here. And when you compare verse one and two um, to verse five and six, for me, it feels like it's a completely different person. In verse one and two, he's saying, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And then verse five is like, I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. But it's like, know, it's like a super huge mood swing. It's like a totally different person. Uh, and I think for me, at least, it, it talks to the reality of the messy Christian faith. We're not always so like stoic and steadfast and strong. Uh, situations de derail us and confuse us. Uh, we feel things that we know aren't true about God. Uh, that are really like kind of heretical um, and we're shaken. Um, and so we need to come before God about those things. But then I think for me also, it speaks to the power of this process. Um, not that the steps one, two, three, four is, is important, but the process of lamenting before God can take David from blaming God, but by the end of it, praising and trusting God. And I think the complaining element of it and being honest before God is really vital in that process for him to land here in this place where he can really say, I trust in you, I rejoice in salvation, and I sing, and I sing to you. But how incredible. No matter what you're going through, that means that you, like David, can go from doubt to trust, from confusion to confidence, from having questions to finding some answers from protest to praise, from despair to hope, that we too, through the process of lament, can land here. A third of the Psalms I said are laments. That's roughly, and it's a bit less than a third, depending on how you categorize it, 42 Psalms are lament Psalms. They all start with complaints to God, blaming God, maybe questioning God, and they're complaining definitely. Do you know how many of those Psalms end with trust and praise, right? Every single lament psalm ends in trust and praise, except one, right, which is Psalm 88, right? as far as I know, any one. All of them through the process of lament and being honest before God land here, this is where we wanna end up. That in the face of pain and tragedy, that we might be able to say, it is well with my soul, not start there necessarily you may not be there you may not be there today maybe all you do is get to complain like psalm 88 but eventually as you wrestle with god you get here where you might say it is well with my soul so there are the four steps of lament and you know what i wanted to tell you guys t cat remember tom cat tom jerry uh, turn complain ask trust if you don't turn to god if you don't take the first step, 
you won't get through your pain with God. You may be a Christian who got through pain, but you didn't get through the pain like a Christian. We need to turn to God and go through it with God. You need to turn, but also complain. If you don't complain, then most likely you're not being honest. You're just pressing down the doubts and questions that you have, and it'll turn to bitterness in your heart and lead to a bigger problem later. If you turn and complain, but you don't ask and trust, then you've complained for the sake of complaining. And that's not a habit you want to get into. You want to move on from there. Make that turn. Right in the Psalms, yet, but, however, are key words with the psalmist's turn to trust and ask in God. And so lament. Through lockdown, through extended restrictions, lament. Through the way it's affected you financially, emotionally, relationally, lament. As you think about Afghanistan, lament. Whenever we face tragedy and suffering and pain, don't just pretend like it's all okay. If it's all okay, sing, it is well. But if you're not ready, turn, complain, ask, and then trust.